Hi, this is Ivarian X, and welcome to The Candid Frame. Before we get started today, I wanted to announce that uh, a couple of months ago, I did an interview with Colin Westerbeck in which we announced a, a competition for street photography, and I provided a link to a website that wasn't active at the time of the release of the episode. But I'm pleased to announce that it is finally up and live, and they are currently accepting submissions for the competition, which can end up with your images being published in a book of street photography curated by Colin Westerbeck. So if you go to Street Photography 2015, uh, you'll see a link there with information about how to submit your images and uh, a little breakdown in terms of this real special offering. So if you're into street photography and you want to be considered for this possible publication in a, in a, in a, in a book, check it out. Now, one of the gifts of doing the podcast and, and just being in the photographic industry for as long as I have been is the fact that I've made some wonderful, wonderful friendships. And uh, today's guest, Lori Rubin, is, is one of those people. I've known her for a long time through a mutual friend, Don Gale, who regrettably passed away some years ago. But through my work at, uh, at the magazines like Outdoor Photographer and Bet Better Photo, uh, I've had wonderful opportunities to to talk to Lori, to shoot alongside of her, and as well as to learn about a lot of the amazing software plugins from MacFun and Nick and uh, her work at Google has provided me uh, some wonderful opportunities to, to learn, to practice photography, and just enjoy good company because she's a sweetheart and she's a, a real gem and a real gift not only personally, but uh, to anyone who knows her, who works, who's had the opportunity to work with her, uh, you know you're in for a real pleasurable time. Uh, and and just, she's just a wonderful, a wonderful lady. I really can't say enough good things about her. But uh, she's a passionate, passionate photographer of, of wildlife, as you'll hear from our conversation. And we started off talking about just how she got started as a photographer. Yeah, so I actually started my career many years ago with all this consumer division that was bought out by Adobe. And I was working um, as a technical support supervisor, uh, working on programs such as IntelliDraw and Gallery Effects, which were the original filters that went into Photoshop. And so during my career, I've always worked in software companies. Um, I joined Nick Software uh, in April of 2005. And that was just fantastic because I remember the very first day I started there, Josh Haftel, who was the product manager, opened up our consignment cabinet, which is full of Nikon cameras. And it was the first time I actually saw a professional camera with these, you know, attachable lenses. <laughs> and I looked through, it was a Nikon D2H okay. and I had a 70 to 200 lens on it. And I looked through it. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is how I want my world to look like. And from then on, <laughs> I was hooked. I mean, I know the exact date and time, <laughs> as many of you folks probably do, too, when you actually discovered, oh, this is it. And so um, I worked with them. I was in the education department uh, working with Tony Corbell and Janice Went uh, for many years. And it was just so much fun. 
And then I was actually photographing brown bears in Alaska with Charles Glatzer. And I got a call from the um, vice president of NIC saying that Google bought us out and that uh, Monday be ready because you're one of a handful of people being interviewed to be hired for Google. And so that was a little bit of a surprise. Uh, when I got back, I was hired by Google and I spent a year and a half up in the Bay Area working on the Google Plus photos team. And that, you know, we could talk probably for a day about my experience at Google. It was just unbelievable experience. Uh, I, I loved it. It was great. Uh, everything from free transportation and those free lunches that you hear about, those are true. <laughs> it, was, it was great. You could take your dogs to work and uh, it was uh, just a, it was like a huge city. And it, yeah, it was just mind boggling, but that was a really great experience. So I was a product specialist there uh, in the education department. And then um, they had closed that out. So after a year and a half, I decided to move back to San Diego and uh, work for MacFun, who also, they do the plugins for Macs. And so I was there for, oh gosh, it was about almost a year. And currently I'm working uh, with Viewbug, which is an online photo contest here in San Diego. And also for the Arcanum, uh, Trey Radcliffe's Arcanum, which I know you are, are, are a part of as well. So mm -hmm. that's really exciting. And uh, so it's really great because we get to mentor and really help people to discover their passion of photography and what direction they want to go. It's not so much academic. It's more of a uh, becoming friends with these folks and really understanding who they are and helping them to develop their poten potential. Because I've been blessed with great mentors I know that, uh, you know, we actually met, we were talking about this earlier, probably about 12 years ago, we had a mutual, really great friend, uh, Don Gale. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, he was a photo workshop instructor. And through him, I think that's where I met you. And, and also Nick, but uh, he passed away, unfortunately, um, a few years back. But uh, that, yeah, he was one of my first mentors, actually, uh, that actually came to me one day and said, Lori, keep doing this. You know, I love your work. And, you know, it's just those little, little um, uplifting moments that people come into your life mm -hmm. uh, and, and just kind of, oh, I guess, help you to get that confidence and give you that little push to be who you really need to be, you know? <laughs> so I really appreciate that. It seems like you, you have benefited so much by just such relationships then with, Don and with Tony and so many other people that have, have served to be both encouraging to you as well as provide you information about how to do things. Um, yes. You know, because I look at your work and, I, it, and it's, it kind of surprises me that it was really during your time at Nick that you started developing as a photographer because I look at your work and I go, oh, she must have been shooting for years before she even started playing with the software. But now, I, now it's like this is news to me. Which is kind of cool. It's like, really? She's only been doing it that short of time? Because I've been using it, you know, since the, wielding a camera since the Stone Age. So anytime I see people who are just so accomplished, but who have been shooting for a, a shorter period of time, it just never ceases to amaze me. Um, <laughs> well, I went to school for a graphic design. And, you know, I've always had that kind of creative side uh, to me. So it was kind of a natural thing when I went to photography uh, to kind of incorporate some of my digital design background into okay. photography. And so I think that helped a bit. But uh, I, I did want to, you brought up something which is kind of fun. 
Um, Tony Corbell, I know many of you folks probably know him, but he was, I just loved working with him. He's one of those guys that you just get in his presence and you just feel more relaxed and the world is better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I remember on Monday mornings, I would come in his office and I'd sit down and I'd go, okay, Tony, give me the next assignment. And he would give me things like, okay, go out with one lens and find the alphabet in nature. Okay, so I would take my macro lens, I went to the zoo, and then one day I found, you know, natural shapes, A through Z, and came back, you know, at the end of the week with that, or he, he really knows me. So he knows that I'm really passionate about wildlife and landscapes, but I'm a little uncomfortable with people. Mm -hmm. And that's why I admire you so much, because uh, you get these great shots of people. So he would tell me, okay, go up to a stranger, take their photo. And so he kind of pushed me uh, to do things that I wouldn't normally do. So, you know, anytime you find a person in your life that really encourages you, I think that just makes you step up a level and experience things you never would have otherwise. So I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah. I've been kind of lucky that I've had the opportunity to connect with people who inspire me, but also push me. And it's not an easy thing to find sometimes, especially if you're a photographer and you're working in isolation for the large part. You know, but it's, it's, you know, it's so crucial when you, well, it's, it's such a blessing when you do find someone that is that for you, because you get to see and discover photography and develop as a photographer in ways that you really don't do if you're just sort of fumbling along in the dark by your, by yourself. Granted, there's a lot of material out there, but there's something to be said for getting feedback from someone that you respect and then respects your journey and, and, and your desire to learn and get better. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing too, um, what I'm doing right now and what I have been doing is I, I reach out to influencers in the photography industry. And so I feel like I've got one of the best jobs on the planet because yeah. I get to talk to people like you <laughs> and all these wonderful, you know, photographers that I really look up to. And uh, it's just a joy to me because I get to discover new people, exciting new works, uh, folks that I've always admired. You know, I've, I've been to Art Wolf's, you know, house a couple of times. And, you know, he's like the epitome of a nature photographer yeah. uh, guru out there. So I've just been truly blessed. Um, it's just been a wonderful ride. I mean, if it could end right now, I would say this has been a ride of my lifetime. I've enjoyed every second of it um, through these, you know, what has it been, 12 years or so uh, with the photography and I hope I continue. And if I'm in a wheelchair, I'll just take macro shots. I'll do something. <laughs> but uh, I love it. I'm really passionate about it, it. What I really love and appreciate about your work is when I take a look at it and I see you using, you know, Photoshop and Lightroom, but I see you using these plugins and you use them in a way that doesn't call attention to the fact that you're using these, but that make all the difference in the world. And every time I look at your photographs, I go, I need to work with those things more than I do. Because you, <laughs> you bring out color and detail and, and just stuff that you just can't do natively with, with, you know, with a default application. And I love how you use these things with a really gentle, subtle hand. And... What allowed you to sort of develop that sort of sensibility when it comes to using these, you know, using the plugins to achieve the look that you do in, in your, in your photographs? 
Well, you know, it's a couple, twofold here. One is that I really got to understand uh, the Nick software products and the control points, I think, are just magical. Uh, if any of you folks have used control points where you can place a control point on an area and it'll look for similar textures and tones and, and patterns, and it'll just affect a certain area. Uh, it's just magic. Mm -hmm. So working with that, um, doing webinars and educating other people on how to use our software, I had to really know it inside and out. Yeah. Uh, same with MacFun. And so, you know, after a while, you get this, your own style. And again, working with influencers and seeing their work, I've been inspired by so many people out there. Mm -hmm. But with nature, you don't want to really push it over the edge. It's more you want to keep the integrity of the, the animal. Uh, but you can enhance, you know, the eyes maybe with some sharpening or bring out some of the nice contrast with total contrast and things like that mm -hmm. that really make it stand out. So there's little tricks that I use and I do share them, you know, through webinars and videos and, and blogs. But, um, yeah, I just uh, I love working with a Nick and Mac fun. It's uh, <laughs> it's kind of like second nature. In fact, when I go out to photograph and I look at either a landscape or an animal, I'm always thinking about how I'm going to enhance it. So I'm not fearful if I'm in the middle of the day. I know that I can, you know, bring out some of those details in the shadows or take down some of those blown highlights. If it's uh, early morning, I can, you know, enhance some of those details in the mist and the fog mm -hmm. uh, with other, you know, software programs, including Lightroom and Photoshop. So it's just uh, you kind of put on these different, you know, set of glasses now once you really get into the software programs and understand what you can use to help that vision that you had in that moment. You yeah. can take that into post-processing. And you make a you make a great point about this idea that by having to teach someone else, you have to be really uh, on top of your game in terms of what you're sharing and, and being able to communicate that. I was teaching a workshop today, and sometimes I don't have to when I'm shooting, I don't have to think about what my process is. But when I'm teaching someone else, I have to think about exactly what I'm doing so I can communicate it with someone. And um, you know, I, I'm sure that having the opportunity to do that and share has really made you that much more adept, not only in terms of using the plugins, but just in terms of the way way that you shoot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, when you have to, when you're training somebody, you have to think of every single step. It's not just this kind of fly by the seat of your pants kind of thing. Right. Uh, you have to take it step by step and you have to really understand what each of these filters do. I mean, I've gone through all 55 filters and, and Nick, you know, intensively uh, because I've had to teach each of these. Mm -hmm. And so you really get to learn it inside and out. So that's a real benefit. I mean, like I said, I've been really blessed with these different companies that I've worked with and all of them have involved photography. So it's just enhanced uh, my ability. I'm hoping to create great images and to help share that with others. So yeah. I, I love that about what I do. You know, one of the things, you know, with all those plugins is that I usually have a couple of them that I use all the time. And uh, the other ones I can never figure out. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, what could I use this for? And then I would watch a, a webinar or a video tutorial and I'll go, oh, that's really cool. Right, but I, I but I think you, you and you can and I think you'd say and you can tell me if I'm if I'm wrong that really the only way of doing it is just to play with it and go with the extremes and 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 just see what happens rather than just like not tapping into the full potential that, that those those software titles provide you. 
Right. Yeah. You know, um, one of the things I always tell people is go through each of the filters take, you can take these sliders are usually in the middle, right? So mm-hmm. you can move them left or right to make that make them either really um, enhanced, or you can take it all the way off. If you drag it all the way off and then kind of slowly bring it off to the right. So you bring out that filter effect, you're going to get some really great results. And often with many of these software programs, you can save them as presets so that you can go back later on. But, you know, playing around, it really enables you to get your own look and style. And so that, you know, when I'm scrolling through some images, I on Facebook, for instance, I can actually identify whose images they are by the style that they do. Mm. Uh, you kind of create that look. It's a, it's a real art. You photograph a lot of uh, animals, uh, some at the zoo and some when you've gone out on safari and things like that. And it's it's so obvious when you take a look at those photographs, how much you just love um, photographing photographing animals. Is that something that has always been with you? Or did you find that when you started picking up the camera, you just gravitated to that subject matter? You know, I've always been that way. I've always, you know, I've been, I've raised horses and dogs and I've always been around animals. And I remember picking up my first camera and the first thing I would go to is shoot the dogs, <laughs> you know, photograph the dogs. But um, I just, there's that connection. I think everybody has something inside that really resonates with them. And for me, it's uh, behavioral moments with animals. And I'll spend a lot of time waiting for a certain connection, certain behavior to happen. Mm-hmm. And when it happens, I feel it in my soul. I, you know, it's, I think you understand when, even when you're out in the streets and you press that shutter and you just know you got the shot, right. <laughs> that, that's what you wait for. And, uh, you know, there've been times when I've had the camera in front of my eye and I have tears in my eyes. I get very emotionally involved in what I'm photographing but, you know, those are the kind of images that um, that resonate with other people, too, hopefully. Uh, one of mo- the moments, probably one of my uh, 15 minutes of fame happened when I was at the zoo and I was photographing a mother gorilla looking at a magazine of a picture of her baby with her baby sitting next to her. Mm. It's just one of those moments I couldn't have set up better. And it ended up going into the Smithsonian Institute. So it's, you know, oh, you, wow. you wait for those moments. And when they happen, it's just you know, it, and you feel it and it's like, okay, I can go home now. <laughs> but that's, that's what I strive for. Yeah. When you, I think that's always the challenge when people are photographing any kind of animal, whether it's birds or, or mammals is trying to capture behavior, C- capturing an interaction between, you know, two birds or two elephants or two giraffes or whatever it is and revealing them in, in, in a way that shows the relationship, because I think it becomes that much more, um, much more dynamic an image as a result. But it's it's a much harder image to get, even if you're shooting within the confines of uh, you know of the zoo where there's some control. Um, how did you how did you get to the point where you started getting in tune with that being a key part of what you wanted to pursue in some of the images? Well, you know, it was. I don't know. I've always had this affinity for for animals and um, having that connection, I think. And I just discovered that when I'm looking through my lens, that everything kind of fades away. And and I just discovered, you know, there's certain times when these behavioral moments happen. Uh, I spent actually seven years every weekend going to the zoo, knowing that someday I go to Africa. And so I would really study these animals. And, and I mm. discovered that like when two lines come together, 
they kind of rub up against each other. And that's the moment you want to click. So you just kind of anticipate behavioral moments of animals when a bird takes off. Um, you know, the, the behaviors of gorillas are just really special. But you just you learn the animal, uh, you learn the behavior, and it just takes a lot of time, you know, sp- sitting behind a camera waiting for that to happen. But uh, that's just magical when it does. And I don't use, you know, any kind of form of trying to get their attention, like noises or anything. Mm-hmm. It's a much more natural glance when they look up at you. It's kind of soft. It's not fearful. And so I, I wait for those moments as well. And you got to practice a lot of patience for that. Yes, a lot. Yes. But- <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's actually very therapeutic, by the way. Um, you know, just being quiet and still and waiting. And uh, so I, if I don't go photographing something on the weekends, I don't feel quite complete for the rest of the week. So I try to get myself out there uh, at least once a week, if not twice. Well, tell me about that first safari, because you said you're always going to go to Africa and you finally got the chance to do it. Yes. Oh, wow. What, what was that experience like? That was unbelievable. My friend Piper McKay, who actually lives in Africa right now, uh, she's a photographer. She heard that I wanted to go to Africa and she said, I'm coming with you. <laughs> I, want, <laughs> I want to see your expression, what happens when you see your first wild elephant. And so we went to Amboseli. That was our first stop. And, uh, and I know that you know who Nick Brandt is, you know, that oh, wonderful yeah. mm-hmm. wildlife photographer that takes those sepia images of lions with their manes blown back and dust of, you know, the elephants tossing dust over their backs. Well, that was the same place that I went to. And uh, I actually captured images with dust devils in the background, Mount Kilimanjaro with these herds of elephants and zebras. And it was just, it was absolutely breathtaking. In fact, it's so good. I had such a great experience in Africa that I almost don't feel like I need to go back if that's as weird as it sounds. Mm. <laughs> but, uh, and I also went to Alaska with Charles Glatzer and that was amazing being a, you know, a few yards away from a grizzly. Um, I never feel any fear when I'm behind a lens, which is maybe not a good thing, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we had a guide with us, of course, but it's really a different experience seeing animals in the wild than in the zoo. But I really encourage folks, if they're going to go on safari or if they're going to go traveling somewhere to photograph animals, the best place to practice is at the zoo before they actually get out there, Uh, play with the settings of their camera, get used to it, find that kind of look and style that they want to do, and then go to your safari. But don't take a new camera (laughs) with you the first time around. That might uh, be very disappointing. So how how do you feel that that time spent photographing in the zoos helped you so when you finally got into the safari, you, you were make you made the most of it. What was it? What were some of the things that you felt like were indispensable that you couldn't have gotten had you not been photographing in that way previously? Oh gosh, that's a great question. But I think first and foremost is um, learning the behaviors of animals and seeing the kind of look that I want. Um, I I took so many shots and was able to post process so many of those that I kind of got an idea of the shots that I wanted to take in Africa. So when a lion came towards me, I knew I would take a wide angle because I wanted to get that environmental shot, mm-hmm. but I also want to get that close portrait, you know, so I zoom in. So I had my 200 to 400, I had a 70 to 200 with me and I was kind of switching off and on, but uh, you just, yeah, so that, that was great. I mean, just the practice of different lighting conditions so that you can compensate for when you're, you know, midday out somewhere and some animal comes across your path. So you just have to be prepared and, you know, and it's not just for animals. When you're going to the zoo, there's flowers, there's a lot of, you know, beautiful trees and things to take photographs of. But I think that anytime you can practice 
and put into use, you know, going to the zoo, your nearby park, it's all good. It just helps build and help you grow. So I really encourage people to do that. So what was it that you didn't anticipate that, that, that surprised you when you were out there? You know, um, (laughs) we did, I didn't think I'd see as many animals as I thought I would. It truly is the Super Bowl of animals when you're in Africa. So, you know, they talk about the big five. Um, I think the most delightful thing I saw were hippopotamuses in a lily pond. And when they came up out of the water, they had the little lily pads on their heads. (laughs) So they look like little hats. It was just delightful. (laughs) So, you know, little things like that, that you just don't anticipate um, that just that just bless you, you know, every time when you press that shutter and you're like, oh my gosh, I couldn't have set this up if I tried. <laughs> so, you know, there were really a wonderful moments. Uh, this black rhino that kind of came toward us and, you know, we got some great shots of him coming directly towards us and then kind of going off to the left, but he was really close. And I guess, you know, not realizing that we would be, you know, a few yards away from some of these magnificent elephants. I mean, I had to have a wide angle for some of these shots, but I think that was the most pleasant surprise uh, was being so close to these wild creatures. And what was the biggest challenge? Gosh, the biggest challenge was probably the dust um, Uh, in Africa specifically. Um, It's very, very fine. And so if you even change out your lens at the end of the day, you'll see that there's dust on your sensor. So you have to be really diligent about cleaning your lens in the front and also your sensor. I had two camera bodies with me. So if anybody, you know, asks me, hey, what do I take? I always encourage them to take two camera bodies and leave those lenses on there. Don't take them off. Just leave them on. Uh, Plus, it's really good to be able to pick up one, uh, you know, maybe a wider angle type lens and then go ahead and do that nice tight shot. You know, we were talking earlier about all these people that served as inspiration. And and I think I was talking with someone recently, I don't know if it, I can't remember if it was on the show or, or, or somewhere else, about the importance of being careful about who you choose to serve as a mentor or to be helpful in your photography. Because there are some people that can actually tear you down and mm-hmm. sort of hamper your ability to, you know, to really thrive being creative. And there are other people that sort of lift you up with no sense of ego at all. And they just, you know, they help you to fly. So you've had so many different people who have served in varying degrees as mentors to you. When you think about what the qualities were that a lot of these people had in common and that you think are really important to look for in a mentor, what, what things stand out for you? You know, the uplifting part is so huge. Um, giving you that confidence and encouraging you is is just worth its weight in gold. Um, I remember going out to Yosemite once with Don Gale, and we had all of our tripods set up, and he was helping us. He didn't even take out his camera. And it was at that moment I realized that is a good teacher. That's somebody who is so passionate about sharing and making sure that everybody else got the shot, that mm-hmm. he wasn't even concerned about himself. And so that was a real eye opener for me. Um, And, you know, people like Tony Corbell, who does what I call the sandwich method, when I ask him, what do you think about this image? He'll always start out with something positive. And then he'll give me that, you know, maybe something technical I could do to make it better. And then he'll end it with a positive note. So when I'm mentoring, you know, my students, I always try to do the same. Uh, I don't think, you know, there's ever a bad shot. And we just encourage them to get better. And so I think there's a real gentle and encouraging way to do it. And that's what I really strive to do uh, with the people that I I teach because um, I've been blessed with the great mentors that have done that for me. 
we all go through journeys in terms of being creatives. Like I've gone through many different cycles of of great successes and you know and soul sucking failures, mm-hmm. and uh, you know and and sometimes I've been able to push through them beautifully, and other times I've really struggled. Um, you know, people can take a look at your pictures and they can think that you've always been shooting great pictures like you have. So, you know, besides having people around you who sort of been encouraging, what 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 did you sort of have to do for yourself in order to sort of maintain the momentum of being creative? Because even because I know from experience that even though you're working in what seems to be like a creative community, you know, even though you're surrounded by photography and photographers, that doesn't necessarily mean that it translates into you being creative in a really positive way. And sometimes even though I was surrounded by all this amazing creativity, I would have moments where I was feeling stagnant, where I was just feeling frustrated, where I just wanted to give it all up. So what... And it gets exacerbated by the fact that I'm seeing all these people produce amazing work, and yet I'm not I'm I'm not able to do it or I'm not willing to do it. So, how did you sort of negotiate that that landmine of of complexity? Yeah, that's you know that's probably one of the most important things uh, in photography, and that is just to keep doing it and pushing yourself. Um, you know, whether it's forcing yourself to get out on the weekends to go shoot something. Um, just keep doing it. Uh, it just becomes a habit to the point where you just naturally want to do it. And I remember one day that I actually set this out on Facebook and I could probably find the exact date, but I said, Hmm, should I go or should I stay? Cause I was debating whether I should go to the zoo. It wasn't the best, you know, weather outside it was kind of bright and everybody said, go, go, go. Well, on that day, um, I actually took a picture of a flamingo with its baby that won first place in the best of nature contest. So, you know, it's Mm. you never know when it's going to happen, but you have to really, you know, you have those moments when you feel like, oh, gosh, I can't wait to get out the door. And there's other moments where it's like, you know, I'd rather just stay in bed. I'd rather just stay here and, you know don't worry about it. I'll get it another day, but you never know what's going to happen on that particular day. So I just, you know, encourage people get out there. And the other thing too, which is really important is get those pictures off of your memory cards. I mean, the first thing when you come home, download those babies, put them in Lightroom if you're using Lightroom and go through and flag a couple that you think are hero shots. Uh, I take thousands of images and for each time I go out, I'm maybe there's five that I really think are good. And maybe there's three that I'll work on, but uh, it's really important just to get out there. And, you know, I think it's a really healthy thing too, especially for those of us who get to go outside, like you're, you know, walking the streets or uh, we're going out to shoot landscape. It's a healthy thing. So it's both good for the mind and for this, you know, soul and the body as well. Do you immediately start looking at your pictures and start editing them? Or do you like to have a little separation in time between shooting them and actually getting to work on them? You know, when I come home, I'll maybe, uh, you know, flag five of them and I'll immediately start working on one. I'll pick the best one because I get so excited when I come home, especially if there's one that I think is really, you know, going to be something special. And I don't want to lose that moment, that that feeling that I had just recently. It's kind of reliving that moment. So I immediately start working on an image. And then through the week, I've got maybe four or five more. But I post every single morning. (laughs) I just make it a habit. Mm. So I'll edit something in the morning. uh, 
and it's pretty quick now, you know, I, I've gotten it down to kind of a <laughs> science after all these years, but I will in the morning, first thing, come and sit in front of my computer. I'll start editing an image and I'll post it. I'll post it on Facebook and Google plus and 500 PX and Ello and uh, what a uh, Instagram. I post them specifically because I want to take the emotional connection away from me and my image. And I want to see what other people think about it. It's actually a really good uh, way of, figuring out what things you want to maybe put into a contest or sell mm-hmm. because uh, though, though that's your audience, right? So uh, I like to do that. So, so tell me about the, the, the selling, because I know you sell prints and, and do some other things mm-hmm. with your imagery. Despite the fact you maybe you have used images in terms of serving as uh, tools for education. I mean, you've worked with Nick and Mac fun, but tell us about what you do with the images outside of, you know, sharing them in the way you just described you know, the main thing is I do share share them. Um, I do use them for educational purposes. Um, the zoos are very strict about copyrights. So especially here in San Diego, so I'm not able to do anything other than share them. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some other zoos that have been much more open to uh, being allowed to use them for educational purposes, but I can't actually sell those. Uh, it's funny because every week I get people asking me, oh, I love that picture of your gorilla. Can I buy it? And I have to say, no, sorry, I can't sell it. So mm-hmm. that's kind of frustrating. So, so I don't actually, I can't sell the zoo stuff, my landscape stuff, uh, I can. And I'm kind of up against the same issue right now because I'm into aerial photography. I have a, a couple of DJI drones uh, that I fly. I'm actually one of their experts. And um, I can't actually sell those either because the FAA has a strict regulation. At least at this point, you can't sell anything commercially. So I'm kind of waiting for uh, some kind of certification for us to get uh, that will allow me to do so. Yeah. But um, but I am able to enter contests. Um, in fact, one of my aerial images right now is going around the world for a uh, it's called a Sky Pixel Perspective Gallery uh, that started in Los Angeles last month. They're in San Francisco right now, and it's on its way to Hong Kong. So that's pretty exciting. But uh, but that is my a new new passion too right now is taking images from the air. Uh, it's just it's like when you first discover like macro photography that there's this whole little tiny world in front of mm-hmm. you that you never noticed yeah. before. <laughs> so now when you're up in the air, you can look straight down and you see these wonderful textures and patterns. Um, just last week, I took some images of this wonderful artist who was drawing patterns in the sand. And I was able to get an aerial perspective of that. And it looks really, really neat. So I'm really excited about uh, that direction that I'm taking with my photography as well. Well, when I was taking a look at your website, that's, that was one of the things that surprised me. I said, like, when did she get into this? Yeah, you know? two years ago, actually. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I was actually one of the first, I would say, probably women flyers of DJI mm-hmm. a couple years ago. Uh, we started a um, Facebook community called uh, Amelia Drone Hearts because there weren't very many people <laughs> out there, women. <laughs> and uh, we started out with two of us, and now it's over 300. So that's really exciting. We're encouraging women because it's not just a guy sport. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're photographers first and foremost, so it's like a flying tripod. So women enjoy it as well. So, uh, what? How is that different from shooting? Um, you know, with with a traditional camera, what are what are the considerations that you have to make in order to be able to make a good good photograph? Well, it's kind of interesting. Um, at least the the Phantom that I fly, as you look at your iPhone. As you're flying, it's a live preview. You can actually see it on your screen. So I'm able to set up for composition. So if you think about landscape, you know, those leading lines, the same thing applies when you're up in the air. So you're still looking for composition. You're looking for great light. 
And it's just, it's wonderful to be able to see it on your iPhone right in front of you or your, you know, iPad. So it's, it's, it's a whole new thing. But, you know, when it comes down to photography, the basics are still there. So uh, I try to remember that when I'm looking at my iPhone there and I'm flying. But it's, it's really exciting. But that, you, you mentioned the FAA, and I know the rules are up in the air. But, mm-hmm. you know, what considerations do you have to make in terms of where you're going to fly these things? Because I know there's a, you know, there's a, there are a lot of restrictions like in the public, uh, in the uh, national parks and things like that. But so where, you know, how do you find out where you can fly these? Where can you do it safely and, and not have to break, you know, any laws or rules that, that may be uh, related to that? Right. Well, there's actually maps out there. Um, you can look before you go somewhere that shows you generally you want to stay five miles away from uh, an airport. And uh, actually our, our phantoms won't go up a certain height if you're around an airport. It's actually restricted. Uh, you want to stay away from national parks. And, you know, I'm really all for that because I, first and foremost, I'm a wildlife photographer. And, you know, when I'm out at Yellowstone or Yosemite, I don't want to hear the buzzing of, you know, drones above my head. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. So, um, you know, no national parks. But there are still areas that we can fly uh, that are pretty isolated from people. I don't like to fly over um, people. You're not supposed to anyway. So I try to find those kind of um, open areas you know, to fly. So there are still spots for us to uh, take advantage of this, you know, wonderful landscape that we have. There are certain locations that are f- famous in terms of landscapes because there's a history of photography. You've seen Ansel Adams shoot Half Dome in a particular way. And you kind of kind of know what to sort of expect when you go out and shoot from ground level, right? right. But shooting from aerial level, there's not a whole lot of stuff out there that really tells you whether a scene would be really conducive to to good photographs or not. Do you sort of kind of go out there and just see whether or not there's anything there? Or do you already have a sort of preconceived notion that there may be something that be that will be a really good material for, for photographs shot from how many f- feet above the air that the, that the drone is placed? Yeah, I usually um, have an idea of where I want to go. Um, because I have a certain amount of batteries that only last like 20 minutes a piece. So I have to make it last. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So an example is uh, the Salton Sea. There's um, three trees called the three sisters that have been shot on the ground uh, by many photographers. And uh, I was out with a couple friends. We went there and I took, uh, I named her Bessie, all my crafts, you know, my drones are are named. So uh, I took Bessie up in the air uh, over them. Uh, at about 50 feet, which is really kind of a nice height. It's not too low where it looks like you're standing on the ground, but it's not so high. It looks like you're from a jet. <laughs> so, right. um, you know, it took about uh, 50 to 100 feet looking down at the three sisters. Um, and it was a different perspective I've never seen before anywhere. And I don't think it's been shot yet um, from anybody else. So that was kind of exciting to see that. And that's the one image that's going around the world right now. Um, but it's just it's totally different when you see things from above. Um, whether it's the you know Oceanside Pier, for instance, everybody shoots from the ground. Mm-hmm, um, this yeah. I get to fly over the waves and get out and look, turn around and look back at me. So it, it's really different, and it puts you in places you never ever could go before. So it's super exciting. Was it was it a steep learning curve to learn how to navigate with this thing and how not only to to wield it so it goes in the direction that you want, but also be able to use it effectively as a camera? You know, it does take a little bit of practice. I was lucky. Um, my trainer was Blair, Barry Blanchard, who's been uh, doing this for 
for quite a few years now. Uh, it takes a lot of patience and, and time. I, I never like to rush anything. So, you know, I would, you know, play around flying a bit before I actually really started getting serious with the photography part of it. But you have to, you know, learn how to maneuver it left, right, up, down. Uh, the nice thing about these drones is that you can let go of the sticks. There's GPS coordinates, so it hovers in the air. Mm -hmm. So that's a really nice kind of safety feature, and it, it lets you feel more confident. And I think there's a couple different types of flyers. There's those that love to fly and those that hover. And I'm a hoverer. I like to get to a location, compose my shot. And it's like having a flying tripod. It is so still. It's unbelievable because it's got a little gimbal on it. Mm -hmm. And I can just hover, maneuver it just where I want. So maybe the lines are cutting the corners, you know, and, and then I just take the shot or the video. I can kind of gently fly it. But I'm not aggressive. Um, I, I don't like to push it. So I, I'll kind of just putter around up in there and, and find my shot and once the battery's down, it comes back down to me, and then we're good. Uh, I'm not really familiar with these things. Do they have their own proprietary camera? They're using a GoPro. Are you allowed, are you using um, your own camera of some sort? You know, there's all types of drones out there, but um, we if we focus on this one company, uh, DJI, who I'm associated with, they have you know craft that'll take your GoPro camera. They also have their own proprietary camera, which is similar to the GoPro. Uh, you can put on a mirrorless camera. You can even put on your DSLR on some of these big crafts. So there's all different ranges, um, but they're really getting sophisticated. They have a new Inspire that came out not too long ago and uh, the Phantom 3, and they take really great images. So they keep getting better and better. And as a photographer, this is very, very exciting. But uh, the craft that I have has its own proprietary camera with a little gimbal on it. It's all in one nice little neat package. It's a little quadcopter. And I can just put in a backpack or in my little case. It's nice and small. And it's it's not so huge that people notice it right away. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I can put it up in the air real quick. And it's really fun to travel with. So for me, I was talking to my students today when I was teaching my street photography workshop. And I talk about, I go out there really simply. I go out there with one camera and one lens nowadays. I don't mm -hmm. carry a bunch of gear. But for the kind of photography that you do, how much equipment do you carry? How much do you, do you find yourself that you, you're using less equipment? Are you using more equipment? What, and you know, what, how are you sort of figuring that out for this particular type of photography? Not, not the, uh, the drone photography, but, but the other stuff that you're doing in terms of the wildlife. Yeah, it really depends on where I go. If I'm going to the zoo, I take a monopod, which is nice and handy because um, so many times I've seen photographers take their tripods and they just stay in one spot. Uh, so I always take a monopod because it encourages me to kind of move around and, and anticipate behavior and get in front of the animal. So it's a monopod. I bring my uh, my Nikon, either the D800E or the uh, D4, and I'll have the 70 to 200 lens on it, a 2.8 with a 1.4 teleconverter, and that is the perfect setup for the zoo. Mm -hmm. Now, if I'm going out, like I have a, I'm going out to Yellowstone uh, in a couple months, I'll take my 200 to 400 and my 70 to 200. So if there's more equipment involved and I might take a wide angle. So it really depends on where you're going, uh, whether it's a lot of equipment you have to take or not so much. You know, I'm hoping someday that the mirrorless gets so good <laughs> that I can take a lighter camera. Yeah. Um, but, but for now, for wildlife, it's still, those DSLRs uh, still, they, they just take awesome shots and that's mm. the way to go for wildlife for now. Is there any place that you haven't been to that you really... Jumping at the bit to get to, to go and find Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> there's lots of places. Um, of course, Iceland would be really fun to take. I do love to take landscapes as well. Um, I, there's a lot of places, even the United States. You know, my my goal, one of my bucket lists, is to get in an RV, travel across the U.S., and hit all the national parks and a lot of the major zoos along the way. So there's a lot of places I haven't been to yet, uh, or places that I've been to that I'd like to go back to as well. But the world is. It's just a fantastic place. Um, I don't think I have enough time or money, though, to, to go to all the places I actually <laughs> want to go to. So with what you're doing now with the um, with the photo contest, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Because that's a, a new part of your, your career. Why don't you – because I think a lot of people who listen to this show would probably be really interested in what you're, what, what you're offering there. Yeah. So um, I'm working with ViewBug and actually what I've been doing is doing webinars, webcasts and videos with uh, some of the judges, some of the influencer or influential photographers out there that are judging these contests. And the fun thing is, is they tell me, you know, what they're looking for in a winning image. We look at some of their own images and they give some tips. So that's really what I'm focused on. But, you know, one of the things that really got me inspired also in photography was actually entering into photo contests. At the time, it was Better Photo, which I know you were instructor for mm -hmm. for a while there. And uh, that that also gave me the confidence because, you know, people, as they started to like my images, I thought, well, hmm, maybe there's something that they know that I don't know. Maybe I should continue to do this. So entering photo contests is a way to validate uh, a good image of yours. And it's fun. You get to be inspired by other photographers as well. So on ViewBug, they've got probably about 75 contests. It's crazy, you know, that they have per day. And these fantastic prizes, everything from cameras and tripods to gear and uh, just it's amazing. Uh, the people that work there are just the nicest people and very passionate about photography. So I'm really, really um, so excited to be working with them and to encourage, you know, people to create their best work. And I think that's one of the ways to do it. Enter these photo contests, see where you, you know, if you could win, that's awesome. But even just still trying. And I think that's one of those things we just have to motivate ourselves to keep doing it. And this is one of those things you could do. Yeah, I, I recently did a tutorial, uh, one of those things, uh, uh, video tutorials with you. Mm -hmm. And yep. uh, I'll be judging a contest soon. And I'll, I'll have details on that on the, on the website. Yes, that's yeah. going to be great. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? You know, oh, gosh. OK, I have a huge list, but uh, I'm going to narrow it down um, and I'm going to have to say Piper McKay. And for the reason that she lived, I mean, she was born, raised in the United States and started doing workshops in Africa. And now she's living in Africa. Uh, I just did an interview with her recently, too. And she has, you know, she has this way of seeing dust and light with her animals. It's really unique and wonderful. And uh, I would really recommend uh, Piper McKay uh, as being someone that you should take a look at, especially if you're into wildlife images. Oh, very cool. And where can people go to find out more about you and your work? You can go to uh, Images by Lori, L-A-U-R-I-E. And if you want to see more of my aerial images, you can go to SkyPixel uh, and look up Lori Rubin, and I'm there as well. Great. Well, Lori, thank you so much for sitting down with me. I always enjoy having the chance to speak with you. So thanks again. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you.
Thanks for joining us for another episode and for spreading the word. You can show your support for the show by contributing any amount via PayPal. Whether it's $20, $50 or more, your donations continue to help us to improve the quality of the program and you can find a convenient link on the website or in the show notes. The show is edited by Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. Our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. The Candid Frame is a member of the TWIP Network. Discover more great photography podcasts such as This Week in Photography, Street Focus, All About the Gear, and more by visiting twip.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.